to be uh, among family and friends. Um, God, we thank you that uh, we are one in you. And we ask that you would just be present in this time that we have together, that your spirit would be among us, that you would speak to our hearts, that um, these words would be uh, just a vehicle of your truth, God, that would impact us in a powerful way, that we might live as your people um, in the places that you've called us. And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been in this faith, uh, we've been in this series, pardon me, Life in the Kingdom this semester. And we've been talking about what does it mean for us to live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ in light of the reality that God has come to earth in the person of Jesus. God has come, the kingdom is here, it is near. And so how do we view our lives? Uh, how do we view our circumstances as people of faith in Jesus Christ? And uh, we're going to do something a little different tonight. We've done a lot of messages this semester where I've kind of focused on one passage and really talked about that. And tonight's going to be a little bit more topical. So the title I chose is faith in your finances, but probably a better title would have been Everything I Wish I Would Have Known About Money When I Was in College. Um, man, it's interesting time when you graduate college. You're going to find yourselves uh, in this room all over the spectrum. When I graduated college, I had one buddy who left and immediately was making like $65,000 a year. And so he went from being a dirt poor college kid to having a solid amount of cash in the bank and didn't know what he should be doing with it. Myself, I graduated from college, and the year after I graduated, I made a whopping salary of $6,000 in a whole year. That's right, nine paychecks each uh, for $750. And uh, I was newly married and had just moved to a new city. Um, I was a graduate assistant. Those of you uh, who want to be a graduate assistant someday, um, you know it's an investment in your future. Got a great education, but the times were tight. And so some of us will have money and we'll be uh, thinking about what does it look like for me to live wisely with what God has provided for me. Others of us are going to say, wow, I've got my degree and all these bills to pay and responsibilities now. And the funds just aren't there like I thought they might be. And so I want to chat about this stuff because I feel like there are a lot of things I wish I would have known about. What does it look like for me as a follower of Jesus Christ uh, to view my money, um, to handle it wisely in the place I'm at right now. And... Uh, yeah, I also want to say Connection is kind of a unique place to talk about this because it's different on a Sunday morning. Bob is here, and uh, Bob, you know it's true. When you talk on a Sunday morning about money, everybody can't help but think, I wonder if he's saying this because he wants me to give more. Um, we just can't help but think that, you know? It's just part of the deal. Um, Connection's budget is funded entirely by the church budget, and I know you guys have very little money, and so I'm not saying this because I want you to tithe more. Um, as Bob does on Sunday morning, we really care about you guys, and uh, we want to see our hearts, uh, attitudes towards money be in line with Scripture and what we know to be most valuable in light of God's Word. And so, yeah, I hope that tonight can be an opportunity for us to just kind of think together about what does it look like for us as people who trust Jesus Christ to be wise with the way that we live our money. And the word you often hear in church when we talk about money is stewardship. It's one of those church words. Uh, what is a steward, really? A steward. This term is found in both the Old and New Testament. Synonyms for it are overseer or ruler. Maybe you remember Joseph. Um, in the book of Genesis, Joseph was an overseer in Potiphar's house. And so uh, stewards, overseers, were people who handled the finances of the owner of a wealthy estate. Stewards were accountable for how they managed the owner's money and possessions. And so this foundation for biblical stewardship that we're going to talk about tonight is that we as human beings need to recognize that our wealth and possessions don't ultimately belong to us. We're stewards 
of God's wealth. King David expressed this reality in Psalm 24, verse 1. He said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's expressing this in Psalm. All things, our wealth and our possessions, they ultimately belong to God. He's the one who created them. He's the one who gives them to us. He entrusts his wealth to us. And David actually talks about this again in 1 Chronicles. He kind of puts it into action. This is when the Israelites are going to build a temple under his son Solomon. And David, what we'll read here in 1 Chronicles chapter 19, he prays to God and thanks God for all that he'd given them so that they could use the wealth that God had entrusted to them to give him honor and glory by building this temple for his worship. Listen to what David writes here. Uh, pardon me. Listen to what is written of David's prayer here in 1 Chronicles 19. He says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. He says, Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. What an attitude is that towards his wealth? We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. And so here David is expressing this truth. That all that they have is a gift from God. And so it's out of that blessing that God had given them that they turn and give back to him what is ultimately his. What God had given from his hand, they now open their hands and give back to him. And so that's what giving was all about. It was about returning to God what he had trusted to them for his kingdom purposes. And so I have to say, that is an entirely different attitude towards wealth in our culture, right? I mean, our attitude is, I worked hard for my money, and I'm going to do with it what I darn well please. Um, I worked hard for my money, and so now my money works hard for me or something. Isn't that the song, Eric? I work hard for my money. You guys know it. Everybody wants to sing it with me right now. Um, I'm such a bad singer that you can't even recognize what song I was just singing. But that is a totally foreign concept to us. We, we think our money is ours. I'm going to do with it what I want. And so what I want to challenge us to think about right now is not the question, what should I do with my money? How should I handle the money that I have? But how should I handle the money that God has entrusted to me? And even more than that, how should I handle the money that God has entrusted to me during the time that I have here on earth? Because reality is, God is eternal, but our time here on earth is finite. And we are called to approach our money with an eternal perspective. And so we need to recognize wealth is fleeting. Listen to this verse from Proverbs 23. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. That's Proverbs 23.5. Wealth is so fleeting. Our material possessions, they aren't eternal. But God is. And as beings created in God's own image, we are called to have an eternal perspective Ourselves, Because eternity is the future that we have before us. We're created as beings made in God's own image for eternity. But it's such a constant temptation for us to look to wealth for our ultimate satisfaction and for the life that we always hope for, isn't it? It's such a temptation. And Jesus, he taught on wealth and possessions so much. He told this story to illustrate the danger of the trap that the material can be for us. Listen to this story. He's 
He's saying the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. You don't want God to say to you, you fool. Um, I think that's pretty obvious to all of us. But love of money, it does that to us. It blinds us from seeing what is an eternal value. Love of money, it destroys us. It never provides what we hope it will. It's only an illusion. And when I say love of money destroys us, I think that verse, uh, pardon me, I think that phrasing is really important. Have you heard the Bible verse, money is the root of all evil? Have you heard that? No, you haven't, because that's not a Bible verse. That's not in the Bible. Uh, people often think that verse is in the Bible, but 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. That's very different from the love of money is the root, or pardon me, money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, is what scripture says. And so we need to recognize wealth is not inherently a bad thing. Wealth is really a gift from God. That's what we saw in David's prayer earlier. It can be used for eternal purposes. Wealth is an absolute gift from the Lord. And we can put it to use for a purpose that matters forever. And so it's love of money that really is the issue here. Love of money rather than love for God destroys us. It's when we make money our idol, our supreme lord of our lives, the director of our hearts. It's when we set ourselves up with love as our greatest desire that we're doomed for destruction. Listen to this quote from Francis Bacon. You may have heard it before. I think it describes this reality so well. Francis Bacon said, Money is a great servant, but a bad master. Money is a great servant. We should aspire to have wealth that we might provide for the people we love, right? We should aspire to be generous to God, to our neighbors, to those in need. But money, it's a terrible master. We can never look to money to give us the security and fulfillment and the status that can only be found in a relationship with God. And so we know that in our minds, but sometimes that's a really hard truth to make it to our hearts, right? Jesus believed that a person's heart attitude towards money is it their servant or is it their master. That provides an honest marker for where that person's heart is really at. He said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. I don't like that test sometimes. But if you want to know how much the good news of Jesus Christ has taken root in your life, you can look at your heart attitudes toward money. What do you need to feel secure? What do you need to feel like your future is full of hope? What do you need to feel like, God, I'm going to make it through. I'm going to be all right. What's driving the decisions you make, the future you're pursuing? Those are all questions that help us realize where our heart is at in terms of this question. Do we love God? Do we love money? If you answer any of those questions with anything other than relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, you're probably starting to put your finger on a functional Savior in your life. 
a functional savior, a false god that you look to other than the one true God revealed in Jesus Christ to be your hope, to give you the rescue that you so desire, to provide for you what you need. What's that functional savior? Our functional savers, saviors, they're an illusion. They never deliver, deliver to us what we hope they'll provide. They never give us what we think they promise. And so love of money is that kind of trap. And we need to be on guard against ourselves. We need to recognize our tendency to look to money as a functional savior, to give us that rescue, to give us that provision and status that can only come from God. It distracts us from remembering where true life, true fulfillment is found. And so it, it's so appealing to look to wealth to provide those things for us, isn't it? How can we love God most? It's such a challenge. And so I, I hope that one constant thread throughout this Life in the Kingdom series has been recognizing the sufficiency of the gospel for all of life. Seeing that the fact that Jesus Christ has come and entered into human existence not only changed life back then, but it changes everything about the way we view life right now. It changes the way that we view relationships, our future, our provision. It changes the way that we view our money and the way that we handle our money. And so what I want to say is that loving God most, loving God more than money, is only possible through the gospel. Because in the gospel, Jesus Christ, God reached out to us. God loved us first. And so it's when we admit our brokenness, when we admit our need and turn to Christ, that's when we can know and experience God's unconditional love and grace. That's what changes us and allows us to love God most, knowing his love for us. And so true love of God, it only comes from knowing that God loved us first. In Jesus, God has provided for us in the way that we need it most, through the death and resurrection of his son, that we might have eternal life, that we might have relationship with God. And so... When it comes to this tension of, oh God, what do, I, what do I love most? What do I need? Are you going to take care of me? We can trust that if God has shown up in our lives in the way that we need it most, surely he'll provide for our every need now. We actually talked about that earlier in the semester, going through the Sermon on the Mount. God is our provider. And so when it comes to our finances, faith and finances, what's the biblical approach? Real wisdom here is to recognize that love of God and not money are only possible in the gospel. And the gospel empowers us to do that because we know the depth of Christ's love for us. And the Spirit works inside of us to transform us, to actually live it out. What does it look like to live that truth out? It looks like contentment. Listen to this verse from Hebrews 13. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Man, we can take a deep breath and rest. We don't have to keep searching for what we already have. We don't have to look for fulfillment in wealth or finances. We've already found the most valuable treasure that our world has to offer in Christ. And we never have to feel or fear Him leaving us. What a transforming reality that is. Because of Christ, we don't have to be self-centered with what we have. And we don't have to be tight-fisted. We don't have to hold on to it. God, if I lose this, then it's all, it's all over. We can open up our hands. We can be generous because of what God has given us. We don't have to store up treasures for ourselves. Listen to this. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's telling us that we can take wealth, which is fleeting, 
but given eternal value by putting it in places that really matter, by serving God and others with what we've been given. Our money has eternal value when we invest it in the kingdom of God. Another verse that's really well known, you may have heard, and I'm not trying to trick you here, this one actually is in scripture. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We really can bless others when we give, believe me. But man, it is such a blessing to me when I give. I absolutely need to open up my hands and give to others because there's nothing that transforms my heart more than to recognize that God is my provider. My life isn't all about me. This sounds really dramatic, but my soul needs to give. Um, so early on in my wife and my marriage, it was really hard for us to give because we didn't have much money. It took us a huge step of faith to put that check in the offering plate because I didn't know if there would be enough next time around, next month. But man, I have to tell you, first of all, I'm thankful that God has provided a little more finances for us now than we had then. I'm very thankful for that. But man, I knew God's love for us and provision for us in such a powerful way as I opened up my hands and said, God, I love you most. Help me to trust you. Help me to know my provider. Man, what a rich time in our lives of faith that was. And that's something that we will always take with us, knowing the power of God's love for us, the richness of his provision for us. When we had nothing but the gospel, man, we knew how much the gospel was worth. And God never, he never failed to provide. And so I want to encourage you to give because God will bless you so much in that giving. And also, giving. What an opportunity it is for us to show others our faith in Christ by giving sacrificially. To use your money for kingdom purposes means that you're not using it for yourself. And that is really different from the way a lot of people think in our world. Money is for me. It's for me to take care of number one and the people who I love most. But for us to reach out and give sacrificially to kingdom purposes, to people we've never even met, people across the globe, what is a better testimony to Jesus Christ in that, recognizing that we are called to love the least of these in the world and backing it up by the way that we use our finances. And so we all, we give out of our abundance from what God has given us, but what really shows the gospel of grace is when we give sacrificially. God gave sacrificially to us in the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. And so when we give sacrificially, we mirror the gospel to others. What an opportunity for that to show the gospel our giving is. So take advantage of that. It's such an opportunity to show how the gospel makes a difference in the way you live your life. And I just want to conclude with giving you guys a few kind of practical tips and thoughts to consider. Um, this is just Josiah's two cents, so I'm not going to say that these all have the full weight of scripture behind them. Uh, but the first thing I want to say, uh, first tip I give you is don't let love of money govern your life. So live within your means, first of all. Don't let love of money govern your life, so live within your means. What I'm talking about here is don't, uh, don't spin your wheels looking for fulfillment in the material. Don't uh, rack up tons of debt in pursuit of fulfillment in material possessions. Don't get caught up in the game of comparison. That's really easy to do because no matter what phase you're in, there's always going to be somebody who's a step ahead of you. Um, when you're renting an apartment, you're going to think, man, what if I could just buy a condo? Like, how sweet would that be if we could own our own home? And then you buy a condo, and you're like, man, how awesome would it could, could it be if we bought a house? And then you're like, wow, but what if we had a house in a better neighborhood? Then our kid could go to better schools, or there's always more. 
There's always more to seek after when you make money your idol. Don't play the game of comparison. It's an absolute trap. Look to Christ. You've got to preach the gospel of yourself to be able to live this out. Because without the gospel, it just can't be done. You've got to remember what's really of value. You've got to remember that your identity is in Jesus Christ, not in your material wealth. So don't get caught up in the game of comparison. Be wise within your means. The second tip I want to give you is don't let money govern your life. So don't be foolishly frugal. That may sound strange, but I've seen a lot of people miss out on enjoying life in relationships for the sake of frugality. Um, what I'm trying to say here is your budget should not be your only priority, and I don't think your budget should be your top priority. Sometimes it's okay to spend a little money unwisely to build relationships. Um, I've been talking about this time when I was first out of college and my wife and I didn't have much money, but one thing we always found room to do was wrestle up our spare quarters and go to McDonald's and get an ice cream cone. Number one, because uh, McDonald's ice cream is awesome. You've got to go get some McDonald's ice cream. Their ice cream cones are $1.25, they're cheap, and uh, they're great. We didn't have a ton of money, but we needed to do something fun together because our lives were rough. There were a lot of things that were not fun in our jobs, and uh, sometimes we were just like, man, God, why do you have us here? We couldn't see why. And so it was really nice for us to just go hang out together, be together, and build our friendship. Sometimes in marriage you forget, oh yeah, we're not just business partners, we're friends. And so friends do things like that together. If you don't have much money but you're married, take your wife out for an ice cream cone or a coffee or something like that every once in a while. It'll be well worth it. Um, yeah, don't let love of money govern your life, so don't be foolishly frugal. Um, where am I at here? Okay, so when it comes to start giving, when should you start giving? I want to tell you, you should start giving right now. Uh, whether you make $500 a week or $500 a year, don't wait to start giving back to God what he's entrusted to you. Um, this can be a really hard thing to do, but it is so worth it because your, your soul needs to give. You need to remember that all that you have comes from God and that his purposes are what's of eternal value. And so I want to ask you, what's holding you back from giving right now? Uh, for a lot of you, it's probably the fact that you have no money. But if you do have a little bit of money, I want to encourage you to start giving right now. Maybe you feel like your gift won't matter. Um, if you remember Jesus, there was a time when he once took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed 5,000 people. So if you don't think you're uh, $2.50 from the, what, 10 hours you work a week in the library, um, or I guess $10 an hour, that'd be one hour. And uh, if you're giving 25% of your income, kudos to you. Your gift matters. Jesus can use it for his purposes in a big way. And so don't wait because you just feel like, oh, what I have to give isn't that much. Second thing I want to say is if you have a fear that uh, you won't have enough to take care of your needs if you give, don't let that stop you either. God is your provider. And opening up your hands to let him show his love for you and his faithfulness, um, that's a really powerful thing. God's going to show up. So open up your hands and let him just explode your faith. Let him show you how faithful he is. You're not giving him that opportunity if you're holding on, saying, God, I've got to control this. I've got to control this. Let it go. God will blow your mind with how faithful he is and how much he loves you by providing for you. And so take that risk. Open up your hands and give out of faith. The last thing I want to say about that is if you're waiting to give until it feels comfortable, uh, you want to feel like you're in a safe place with some margin in your budget before you have enough to give, then you will be waiting forever. 
because the more money you have, the more money you're going to need to send to other places to pay your bills. Um, there are going to be more places for that to go the more you make. And so if you're waiting until you feel like it's a really comfortable thing to do, um, that moment is never going to come. And so start giving now. Open up your hands. And the last thing I want to say about this here is how much should you give? This is a big question. We often talk about tithing in the church and tithing with this uh, command given in the book of Leviticus. I think that's where it was first mentioned in the Old Testament. Tithing was the name for God's command for the people of Israel to give 10% of what they had uh, as a gift to the temple or a sacrifice to God. And, you know, there are, there are a few Christians who think the tithe should be interpreted literally today. Most believers today believe that command has been superseded by the new covenant, so to speak, of God's grace revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And I, I myself would be of that second view. The tithe isn't meant to be literally applied by the church today. But here's the deal. When we know how much God has given us in Jesus Christ, when we know the extent how, of how richly God, how generously God has given us, himself and Jesus Christ, how much more should we want to give back to him? It's only appropriate, according to the rich grace we receive, that we would want to give back to God. And so 10% of our income, that's a great place to start. I've heard the tithe referred to as the training wheels of giving. Um, that is such a great place to start, the tithe. But as we give, uh, as we grow in grace, as we give more and more and experience God's grace through that, we're going to want to give more. And so the tithe, that's a great place to start, but don't let that be your limiter. And I want to say, you all know, I've talked about this so much, I want to see each and every one of you graduate and use the gifts and abilities God has given you to serve in the kingdom. I believe God has wired each and one of you in an important way, in a unique way that you can contribute to serving and making his name known. And so I want you to do that, but I also want to tell you right now, I want you to make a lot of money doing it too. Why? Because if you make money, then you can contribute that to God's kingdom. You can put it in places where it really matters for kingdom differences. You can not only provide for your family, but you can care for the least of these. You can meet needs all across the world. You can further the gospel as you give to people um, who need to know mercy, who need to be met with justice, who need to be reached with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I hope you, I hope you make good money doing what God has wired you to do, because then you can give generously and you can give sacrificially to forward God's kingdom purposes to put your money in places of eternal value. That's my hope for you. And so God has been rich toward each and every one of us in Christ. And let's be people who are rich toward others with what he's given us. And that's what our lives are all about, right? As followers of Jesus Christ, being generous with our love, being generous with our lives because God has been so generous to us. Why don't I pray about that for us together now and the band's going to come forward and lead us in a summer response. God, we thank you so much for your word. Um, it speaks to us in such a relevant way for the things that we think about um, as your people today. God, money is, uh, it is an idol that is all too tempting to me, God. It's such a temptation for me to look to money uh, for security, for comfort, for joy. But God, help me to turn aside from that functional Savior, that thing that I've been looking to other than you, to give me that rescue, to give me that hope that I desire, God. Help me to see, help all of us to see how richly you provided for us in Christ. You are such a generous God. You've given yourself sacrificially to us that we might be brought into your family. We thank you for that, God. We pray that the gospel would 
transform us. That it would make us people with open hands. That we would recognize that you entrust wealth to us. That we might put it in places that really matter, God. Places that build your kingdom. Eternal purpose, God. So we ask uh, that the way that we live our lives would just be transformed by that truth. That we wouldn't uh, use our money for ourselves, but that we, we, that we would love you most because we know your love for us. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.